0: Great. Uh, hello all. Um it's Craig again here from the Man On Podcast and we're going to a turnaround of games between game week 34 and game week 35, quite awkward this week to do a tactical breakdown of a particular fixture, I haven't really got enough time, um, so instead I'm going to look at something else topical um, that can tie in with tactical analysis and, and that's the appointment of temporary managers and why in most cases this season they don't seem to be going too well. So I've got quite a lot a lot of examples to go through. And I'd say, was there currently six clubs with the intention of sort of changing manager at the end of the season? So Chelsea, um, okay. obviously went from Tuchel to to Potter to Lampard. Tottenham have done their own sort of three way transfer: Conte to Stellini to Mason. Southampton as well through Hassan, Hootle, Jones, and Sellers. Leeds now at the same with Mar um, Marsh to Gracia to to Allardyce. In Palace have moved Vieira to Hodgson, Leicester have moved Rodgers to Smith. So I want to go through sort of each manager change one by one and highlight why in the majority of cases these moves are likely to end in failure and why in some cases clubs have ended up with someone worse in charge than the manager that they sacked in the first place. Um, so to start, I think I want to start on quite a basic statement and that football in general is more about Sort of tactic structure and particularly pressing, I think, than ever before. So, even in the last sort of five, 10 years, the game's moved on incredibly in, in this area. And let alone from the days of sort of Arsenal Wenger and Felix Ferguson, where, sort of, at base level, I guess most teams played 4 4 2. Central midfield was a battle, the wide areas had creativity, and tactics on the whole, I would say, were fairly minimal in comparison to, to modern day. So, good man managers um, that had talented players often did well. Um, and the likes of Sam Allardyce and Harry Redknapp largely succeeded in this area with their man management skills I'd say Jose Mourinho was seen as a, a slight revolutionary when he broke through same for Antonio Conte and even Mauricio Pochettino was considered to play sort of a new blend of, of fluid football when he became Tottenham manager however those three names are obviously still around and I'm not even sure they can compete now with what, what we've got in the Premier League right now so we've got Pep Guardiola, Bikar Teta, Eric Ten Hag, um, Bert de Zerbi. And I think those four in particular are kind of changing the game at the minute. So gone uh, the formations, we now have fullbacks moving into midfield to create overloads in position. There's five or six players now making up the attacking line in attacking structure. And more than ever, players requiring specific attributes to thrive in a particular position. Now you can't just be a central defender or a central midfielder. Um, it's about passing lanes, it's about press resistance, and even whether someone excels in the first or the, or the second phase of play. And I think it's quite notable even lately that managers like Jurgen Klopp and I am Ray are realizing um the new power of this new tactics, and they're adapting to create their own versions of of, of this Liverpool side to invert trend into midfield lately. Um Una is playing six men in the last line of defence to prevent overloads. He's also playing wide players centrally in possession um, to create overloads for Villa uh, in critical areas of the pitch. So Villa often can play four or five in central midfield and six in the last line of defence, depending on attacking or defensive game state to, to nullify opponents and to, to get overloads. So it's quite, quite a big development. And I think there's a reason why the likes of Patrick Vieira, Stephen Gerard, Frank Lampard, they've largely failed as managers because... Obviously, these were successful players in their their time, but the tactics that maybe they were used to and accustomed to when they were playing are now outdated. So I guess you could argue their managerial style was a a largely um, result of how they played when they were players. And obviously, it was successful when they played. So I think there's an understanding that it will carry on working today and it's not. Um, so one thing that's pretty significant in, in this season of Premier League is a uh, in a general sense is that those teams who press aggressively are largely doing well, and those who are more passive pressers are largely doing poorly. So the most passive pressing teams under current management, I would say uh Nottingham Forest, Leeds, Leicester, West Ham, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, and Tottenham. Um, those are all in the bottom half, except Tottenham. And I would say of those in the bottom half of the table, only really Southampton, Everton, and Bournemouth are particularly aggressive pressers. But there are other reasons why why those, those clubs are struggling. So if you look at the current selection of temporary managers, most, if not all, I would say are passive pressers. And I would say that's a start to why things aren't um aren't going that well and they aren't improving from their from their predecessors. So we'll start with Chelsea. Um and notably we'll have a little bit of a breakdown of what happened against Arsenal so Lampard has often changed between four at the back and five at the back I did a formations pod before and highlighted why having five at the back is helpful in defensive structure because a lot of teams attack with five attackers now so you, you prevent overloads Chelsea are quite accustomed to playing five at the back wing backs or 3-4-2-1 however you want to call it 3-4-3 uh, three, three. Yes. Um, but again the two wide players drop into the back line with the three centre backs to get five defenders and that would um, cover off Arsenal's five attackers to stop overloads, so Chelsea are away at the Emirates Frank Lampard plays four at the back for this game so instantly, and I think it was most notable in the first half, Arsenal to got overloads in the last line, particularly Odegaard found himself free and obviously scored two goals as a result of it so bad choice to start with I think playing four at the back in that game other significant factor I think in that game was Arsenal playing a, a debutant centre-back Um, Polisko Akiwio. um now, things were potential to be quite good, but it's obviously a, an awkward game for him. One, he's left-footed, and he's used to playing left side, then he was playing right side of the centre backs next to Gabriel, so he was in an unfamiliar position. Two, it was his debut in the Premier League. Obviously, there's pressure attached to that. Um and it was, it was a good game for Chelsea, I think, to get on his case. If, if they could have probably forced mistakes from him, um, and if they would have forced mistakes from him, it could have, who knows what he could have led to. But Chelsea didn't do that. Uh, There's basically too much space everywhere for Arsenal. In overloads, there was no pressing from the attackers into the Arsenal defence, so there was a lot of space for Arsenal to play triangles. I think Kierkegaard particularly had a lot of time on the ball. I think it would have been a good tactic to to put more pressure on him. Midfield, there was, again, there seemed to be space everywhere for Arsenal, especially in the first half, and the game was done by half-time. So tactically, Chelsea got it all wrong in the first half. And it's a shame because they began the season with a very good tactical manager, with Thomas Tuchel. Um, but obviously things didn't work out with him. Um, and I think at the time, they thought they were find another good tactical manager when they got Graham Potter in, who's obviously doing a very good job previously at Brighton. Um, and that's true to a point. But Potter has limitations and, and faults. And I think that's what came, came to be at Chelsea. He changed his system a lot and he changed his players a lot. Um, and there's lots of fluidity in roles um, so you've be playing you know, three or four different formations sometimes even in the same game there was no fluid, I think the players were often they're such a big squad Chelsea that it was trying different players in every game so there was no continuity with that and I say especially in attacking areas um, they struggled with zone coverage I think Chelsea because all of their attackers were basically given freedom to impact the game how they wanted but should they lose the ball in that set in that setup, all the zones of the pitch weren't covered and there was opportunities for the opposition to exploit that. The other issue with, this, with a manager who's like this is how do you buy players for them? Because you don't know one week if they play them 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, 3-4-3, I think that the sign of a good team is that a manager's got a clearly defined way they want to play. And again, you buy players that suit that particular style so, like I said earlier, you can't just go and buy a central midfielder anymore. You need them to have certain characteristics. Today's football is very much about specialists. Um, yeah, say Chelsea under Potter. How, how do you buy someone in a transfer market for that? Which is probably ended up why they just bought a big... They went football manager style and just bought a collection of great footballers and hoping that they would gel together. It doesn't work like that. Um, and... So it's virtually impossible to sign appropriate players for the system. And I'd say even for the existing players in the squad to master their roles in the team when they're maybe playing as a six one week and eight the next week, deep one week, more attacking the next week, wing back one week, fall back the next week. You can't master a role like that if you're constantly being asked to do different things. Um, and I think ultimately that was what caused Potter's demise, is that you couldn't settle on a starting eleven, you couldn't settle on a starting formation, and players just never really bought into it. So now, now Chelsea have got Lampard, who I'm sure was brought in to bring passion to Chelsea, obviously a club legend from his playing days. And I guess his, his role was to highlight what a great club it is to, um, at Chelsea. However, tactically, he's even worse than Potter. And at the moment, he seems to keep getting overrun. So largely, he plays 4-3-3 on the whole. So he has dabbled with, with back sometimes, but largely uh, 4-3-3. The full-backs tend to play quite wide. The wingers or outside forwards tend to stay quite wide. And the two outside central midfielders, I would say, tend to stay quite high in a 4-3-3. So the centre of the pitch is very open because, say, the full-backs and the wingers are wide. The attacking uh, Two of the three central midfielders are playing quite advanced. So the holding midfielder has basically got so much area of the pitch to patrol. It's a, it's a thankless task, really. and And Chelsea are too easy to attack down the middle of the pitch. Um, and that's made even worse by the fact that there's no press to put the opponent under pressure. So teams are literally just passing through the lines against them. the structures to open. There's, there's not enough pressure on the ball. And even though they've got lots of bodies playing fairly high at the pitch with no press, it, it's just easy to find an outlet. And I think Ole this is where Lampard struggled at Chelsea. I'm just going to highlight something here. So can you imagine Chelsea now with their squad if they had like a, a Pep or an Arteta in charge at the moment. They could have a team like this. I'm going to pick um, 11 players. So we've got Kepper in goal. Um, I would say on par with Ramsdale for distribution-ish, uh, not much different. Um, decent shot to stop an amazing goalkeeper, but we do the job. What would be like sweeper-keeper distribution that Arsenal and Man City expect from their keeper, so that's fine. They've got versatile Reese James, who could invert into midfield. From fullback, could play in the back three from fullback like Ben White. Um, could even probably play in the front five from fullback if you wanted him to. For me, I would play him inverting into midfield, what Trent's just started to do for Liverpool. So he's a right back that moves into midfield to help. Wesley Fofana, I think, and Thiago Silva, perfectly good centre backs. And then the left centre back needs to become part of the back, uh, the left back needs to become part of the back three and invert like Nathan Ake. Um, I think the best they've probably got at the moment is Cucarella for that role. He's better than Chilwell, I think, in a back three. Chilwell's more an attacking fullback. So so you end up with Fafana Silva, Cucarella as your back three. James moves into midfield to maybe help Enzo Fernandez, who's playing as a as a six. Again, not maybe the right attributes that you'd ideally want for that role. He's not as physical and as tall as like the Rodrigues and Fabinho's of this world, but more like a Jorginho type six. But Think he could do a job there, Enzo Fernandez with support, say, from Reese James inverting to help in possession. You got Mateo Kovacic, I would play as an eight. Um, very press-resistant player, keeps the ball well, can facilitate lots of things he's in the granny Jacker role. I think that's fine. Then the other eight, I think Mason Mount, I think he's crying out for a designated role in, in this sort of modern-day 3-2-5. I could see him being a really good player as in the other guard type, Kevin De Bruyne type position. So I'd play Mount. So you've got Kovacic as the second-phase attacker. Mount up there um, as the main eight. The two wide forwards So Arsenal got Saka Martinelli. Chelsea could play Mudrik, who obviously you think can play the role, whereas Arsenal wanted him. Um, so Mudrik out on the left, two-footed dribbler, pace, power, very good 1v1. We haven't really seen the best of him at Chelsea yet, because they keep playing him in other positions. And I think Nodemad Madueke, I think, is another one that has all the characteristics to be quite a good wide forward. Um, he's another one that seems to be able to dribble both ways um and take players on. So I quite like those two as the as the two outlets out wide. They haven't really got a great centre forward, I don't think, Chelsea for this system. So I'd probably play Jal Felix there, um, who's a bit more like Gabriel Jesus can drift around a little bit more and, and help things. So yeah, if you if if you played the, the Arsenal and Man City style with, with Kepa, then James Fafana, Silva Cucarella, Enzo Fernandez, Kovacic, Mount. Maduke, Mudrick, Felix, this Chelsea team would not be in the bottom half of the table. Um, so they've clearly got the players um, to do well and to all back up to the likes of Kante and Havertz that can come on and, and do things too well. But it's a team that should be competing for the top four uh, based on squad capabilities. They're just not managed very well tactically. Um, and I say certainly it's not far from what Man United have currently got. And it looks like they're going to comfortably finishing in the top four. Um, when they've got good tactics and pressing and things like that with Eric Ten Hag. So it'll be interesting who Chelsea appoint in the summer. Um, but my feeling is it'll be someone who's probably inferior to what they previously had with Tuchel. Um, if, they get, um, if they get Nagelsmann, I'm not, I think he could be a bit of a potter, for example, which maybe, as we've already found out, maybe isn't the solution. We'll have a look at Tottenham next. So Antonio Conte, um played 3-4-3 for quite a long time and it has been successful in the past one Chelsea, Premier League, one Inter Milan, a Serie A. But again, I'd say they were different times and being in a different country as well is something to consider where perhaps the tactical landscape is is a little bit different. Um, And the key issue, again, with Conte's system relates to pressing. Um, Tottenham were conceding large chunks of possession to the opponents in games. Um, And in the Premier League now, those opponents often had the tactical capabilities and the players had a technical ability to make use of the fact they weren't being pressed and the extra space they were afforded, where maybe in the East Chelsea era as manager, it wasn't like that. Teams weren't as, as tactically astute. And at Inter, I think the pace is just a bit slower and teams didn't capitalise on in the same way. So again, horses for courses, it worked in a certain era. It worked in a certain country. It's not going to work in current Premier League. and can work in, in one-off games. Um, there's a big reliance, obviously, on hitting teams on a counter-attack. Um, and reliance on utilising set pieces. but So I don't think it's likely to bring continued success over a 38-game season. And and Spurs ultimately, I think, did did win more than their fair share of games, um, playing an inferior tactic. And we all know that was largely thanks to Harry Kane's goals. Um, And it shows what, if you've got a good outlet or outlets, um, what can be done, even if you've got bad tactics. The other the other obviously weakness with this for Tottenham is that they were playing this 3-4-3 and they only had two players centrally. And that regularly causes overload in this part of the pitch. And once they lost Rodrigo Bentoncourt, um he was their main midfield asset that was getting Spurs progressing the ball forward. they struggled struggled with Hoyberg, Skip, um, Saar, players like that in there to compete with, with overloads. Um it's been a bit not been particularly nice for them, to be fair. So Tottenham, you've got Tottenham defending deep. They're passive in terms of marking the opposition. They give opponents easy possession and um, to build themselves and then they're outnumbered in critical areas. That, that to me, feels like a recipe for disaster. Um, and I, I guess the recruitment wasn't ideal either for Tottenham to support what Conte was trying to do. They have got a lack of pace throughout the team, I think. Um, especially at wing-back. I think they need pacing the wing-backs to get up and down. Um, they've got a big role in, in this system particularly to operate on like counter-attacks and things. And again, they've not got a genuine press-resistant controlling midfielder. I think when they do get the ball to Tottenham, they need someone that can be safe and secure in possession and try and release the uh, the outlets for the counter-attack. I don't think they've really got that player either. So, um, can't they ended up leaving, obviously. And rather than recruit someone with a different style that could maybe better utilise the players that were at Tottenham's disposal, obviously went for the assistant instead of Stalini who'd um, worked under Conte for numerous years and by default unsurprisingly played in the same way so I don't know what Tottenham really expected to change um, kind of baffles me a little bit in a re- in a recruitment process where a possible manager isn't asked tactically what they suggest would work with the current squad of players um, and the main changes they would make I don't know what Stalini said when he was offered the job in terms of how he would adapt from what Conte was doing because ultimately it was identical we've um, now got Ryan Mason the players seem a little bit more engaged at least at the moment but realistically I think this appointment is too late to make any difference um, so again we'll see what they do in the summer on to another club on their third manager of the season and we'll go to Southampton next and their problem I would say is entirely different um, in the sense that recruitment their biggest problem I think rather than bad managerial tactics so Go back to Ralph hassan I think he'd shown numerous positive traits as manager. I think Saints pressed quite high to a good standard. I think he was fairly fluid in adapting formations and tactics in-game um, as a reaction to nullify opponents. And same say mainly, I think Southampton were generally keen to play on the front foot, which I think is vital at the moment. What went wrong is that Southampton recruited lots of young players, which is fine if you've got experience to go with them. And I think most importantly, I think they didn't really sign a striker to replace Danny Ewing. certainly not anyone that was going to score reliable goals. It's an old cliche, isn't it? In football, the goals win games and clean sheets win titles. And, and Southampton basically had no reliable goals in the team. I don't, I don't think any manager was going to alter that issue um, without dipping into the transfer market. I know you got like Man City have won leagues before playing and up front and things, but when you're a team like Southampton, you need someone who's going to get you 10, 15 goals. And they, they didn't replace Danny Ings. Um And it's kind of what Sean Dyche, I think, is noticing a bit at Everton now. He's got solid tactics. He's fairly front foot in his pressing. But for most of the time he's been there, he's had no, no outlet, no goals. He's managed to get Calvert-Loon back now for the end of the season. Um, that may come just in time to save them. But really, they should have been signing a striker in January to give them that outlet because, I say, good tactics are, are one thing, but you need good players in certain critical positions to to help the team. And Southampton haven't had it. And at the moment, Everton, although they've got one on their payroll with Calvary, and he hasn't been available. And because of that, I think Everton are now struggling to get out of it. So I think those two clubs are actually signing comparable in terms of lack of strikers. Obviously, Hooter went for Southampton and then Nathan Jones came in. And I think stylistically, he wasn't particularly different. But again, struggled for points, um, no striker. And I think Ruben Sellers is now much the same. I highlighted um, in a recent match pod um, when I covered Arsenal v Southampton that I thought Southampton could cause Arsenal problems. And they ended up, they didn't that game and ended up drawing 3 all. They've actually got quite a nice collection of good Premier League standard players, Southampton, with, with Bello up at the back. I think he's, quite useful Kyle Walker-Peters of player James Wall and Lavia in midfield um, they've got the, the makings of quite a good squad and certainly a squad that can compete in mid-table but they haven't got any goals and, and without that again the manager's tactics are kind of irrelevant so actually Southampton I think have appointed three semi-okay managers but from a tactical standpoint but say issue is a lack of, of the right player in their case And um, there's another team that kind of fits this bill a little bit and that's Leeds uh, who I think had a good manager to start with. So Southampton desperately needed to find Hassan Hill was striker and didn't. And then we got Leeds who really needed to find a defender for Jesse March or defenders for Jesse March even. Um, but instead of doing that, they in January opted to break their transfer record to sign Jorginho Rutter, who um was an attacker they didn't need. So prior is wrong again. I don't know who's at fault for that. But it was it was clear that tactically Leeds were fairly good. They had already a decent collection of good attackers, but neither defenders didn't sign any. Um, well, one of the main tactical traits of these the, the better teams, should we say, is that they, they make use of their wide players quite aggressively when they press. So rather than hold width um, in defensive phases, the wide players mark the opposing fullbacks. Uh, rather than mark the opposing fullbacks, when the ball's on their side, those wide forwards press more centrally onto a centre-back. And there's a knock-on effect to that. That the um the fullback then presses up to mark the the, um, the opposing fullback instead. So we'll take Arsenal. Saka um may move inside Levy's fullback um, when he's pressing a move to mark the opposing centre back. He's then backed up by Ben White, who then presses really high against the opposing fullback. Um and there's a shuffle across the back line. Saliba would come across to mark the winger. Gabriel would move across to Mark Saliba's centre-back and then Zinchenko would move across to Mark Gabriel's centre-back. And if the play gets switched, everyone shuffles around. But it's quite an aggressive form of pressing stop teams getting out of the back um, when they do that by... Um, I say it's, and it, it's triggered by Saka or any winger pressing centre-back rather than just sticking with their regular um, regular back as you would expect. Under March, I think Lee's looked quite a good pressing unit and I think he had a, a large chunk of the players that he needed to operate in in the system. He again pressed the same way I've just mentioned that Arsenal do it, um, but again, a bit like Arsenal last season, I think March was just a few pieces of the, pieces of the jigsaw short. Um, he had some weak links in defence. Arsenal got out and solved their weak links with Jesus, who was in chain Salibas come through um, and helped. Um, Leeds were well on their way to forming the, the 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 base of a really good team, but needed some defenders. Desperately, um, and I think if you, if you look at the fact they sacked him, I think it was a bad move. And of all the f- sort of free managers, I would say now he, I think he should be on the radar of most mid-table Premier League clubs this summer who are looking for a new manager. Uh, I certainly think Leicester might regret not finding a solution to their plan to recruit him. I know he was having talks and he broke down. Um, I think he's quite a good manager for a mid-table team to get in sort of support in in the transfer market and let him build a a team that plays the way he wants to play. Um, Because I I quite like him as a manager, March. Um, but Obviously, he was sacked um, and they brought Javi Gracia in. And he's very different tactically to to March. So a squad of players that were used to energetic and tactical pressing under first Marcelo Bielsa and then March, um, players that were often brought in for that purpose were then under Gracia being asked not to press at all. Um, Leeds ultimately don't have enough technical players to pass through defence into midfield and Gracia's sort of man-marking defensive structure was, was often played through because as I say, the defenders are below the, the standard required really so you've got a squad full of players playing in a very different way to how they've previously played and probably not with a skill set to play in that style um, so again it looked like a relationship that was never going to work Gracia and Leeds for, for that reason Sam so Allardyce I don't know if he's actually come in for definite yet, but it looks very likely to. I think he has. So he's got four games to save them. And he's another largely passive pressing coach. Again, very different to Gracia. Albeit he is one who's got plenty of experience of setting a team up successfully in a low block. Um, so like Tottenham, like Man United, previously under Ole Gunnar um those teams have benefited from having difference makers and outlets in attack that can win them games single-handedly. And I think Allardyce has got that at least with the likes of Sinistera and Nonto. I think they've got enough attributes about them that if you give them the ball, they can make something happen and maybe win you a game if you defend well. Um, so, so that if you've got difference makers, you can win games through bad tactics. Um, what remains to be seen is obviously what worked 10, 20 years ago for Sam Allardyce. I think that's far, more, far less likely to work in the modern day. Um, so... I can see why they've brought him in. He's obviously got a track record for this sort of saviour. But again, different times. Um, not sure it's going to work personally. The comeback to that for some of you might be that, well, hang on, Crystal Palace have got Roy Hodgson in. Um, he's a bit of a shrewd dinosaur manager, for want of a better phrase. And his um, tactics, I guess, are not overly dissimilar to, to Allardyce. And yet, yeah, he's doing a really good job at Crystal Palace. So why won't it work for, for Allardyce? So fair question um, and I think there's probably three critical differences between those two situations so I'll start with the fact that one I think the Palace players weren't previously coached in a completely different system so how Hodgson has been asking Palace to play is fairly in line with what Patrick Vieira requested previously no major change so it's no big big change for the players they're kind of carrying on as they used to which I think is good for football players I think big change often takes a lot of time to learn so there's, there's that in Crystal Palace's favour. Um, Allardyce is, very, i say, very different to Marsh and Gracia in different ways. Um, so they've always gone to three different sort of corners of the triangle leads with the three managers they pick. picked. So that's quite different. I think, two, Crystal Palace have got better defenders than Leeds who are more trustworthy. And good defenders are an obvious positive to say up in a defensive block. Different Crystal Palace have got Joaquin Anderson, Mark Guilly, sorry, Mitchell, I think they're all, those three in particular are all better than what Leeds have got. Um, and Leeds need defenders for the job in hand. So I don't think it's as likely to work for Leeds with their calibre of defender. And point three, I think Palace had easier fixtures and therefore more winnable games. So the circumstances and the environment were, were more obvious for for Hodgson to succeed. I'm not sure it is for Allardyce, who's got a lot of harder games over his final four. Um, so again, he is experienced in terms of the Premier League. He's in experience in terms of what it takes to escape a relegation dogfight but he hasn't got a nice fixtures. he's got players not used to playing in the system he wants and he's got arguably not great defenders for a team that's going to rely on defence now so my gut feeling is it won't work but I'm quite happy to be found to be wrong on that one one team I haven't quite looked at yet is Leicester so I'll take a quick look at them to end um, and they clearly had a very capable manager in in Brendan Rodgers. It never surprised me when Leicester won a sort of a random game that they weren't expected to win because I always thought Rodgers was was wise enough tactically to to pull that sort of upset off. I don't think his main issue is particularly tactics, Rodgers, but more more transfers. I think for me, it's felt like a, for for a while that all of the clubs he's managed really struggled to improve them with new signings. Um. If you look at most clubs, I think when they make a new signing, they, they tend to be looking to improve their first eleven. It always felt like with me Rogers that he was looking to improve the squad. Was, there's not loads of examples with him dating back for numerous clubs where signings he's made I think have made a big difference to the starting eleven. Um. So he's basically got he buys better squads, but they're all a similar quality of player almost. And where other teams around him are improving, his teams tend to stay a bit static. I think. So. Understand why he was sacked, and I think he'll be quite a good manager for a team in a bit of turmoil for a year or two to help them get out of that because I say tactically he's is good. It's just then obviously the next stage of that is to then buy better players for the tactics. And I think that's where he's let himself down maybe sometimes before being let down by the club's recruitment. Um so Dean Smith's in now. Um again, like most of these clubs, it feels like a backward step. Um Obviously, I've got allegiances to him being a Villa fan, but I'm not sure he's ever shown himself to be a a great tactician at Villa. He was quite limited, especially once Jack Grealish left. I would say at a basic level, his style was based around giving the ball to Grealish as often as possible and then ultimately hoping something happened. That might be a bit harsh, but that's kind of how I felt about it. Um, Good news is for Leicester that he's got um, a similar player to Grealish, James Madison, who's sort of a main playmaker, giving the ball something might happen. So he could find a solution at Leicester to what went well for him at Villa. Um, worryingly, though, they they looked outclassed in the recent draw with Leeds by Javi Gracia managed Leeds. Um, so to me, that's a cause for concern. I think if he was in charge for longer, I'd be worried for Leicester. Um, but it, there might be three teams that are maybe a bit worse than them with worse fixtures, so he might just escape. But again, I don't think he's a, he's a long-term solution. I think that'll do for today. I came in with no real plan just to talk about temporary managers. We've got to where we've got to. I think the overriding situation coming through all that I've just mentioned is that clubs need to have a clear identity in the type of manager that they pursue. The likes of I say Arsenal and Arteta, they've benefited from his defined plan of how he wants to play. And they've done quite a good job recruiting for that style. And I think they they're very particular with the type of player they want now, but it's in line with how the manager wants to play. It doesn't it doesn't matter how good the footballer is considered on the world stage. If their, their skill set doesn't match Arsenal's tactic, then they won't be signed. Um, other clubs um, could have made probably similar progress to Arsenal with a bit more patience, maybe not challenging the top four, but sort of been safe in the Premier League. Um, and have jumped quickly from some, from those managers. I think Leeds have with March. I think Southampton have with Who I think... If they were given a little bit longer and given the right ammunition in the transfer market to buy the type of player they needed, um, I would expect both of those clubs to be, to be mid-table, um, and certainly not fighting relegation. So, those two clubs in particular might come to regret their decision because those two I think are more than useful managers for the modern day, um, and what's required tactically. But again, it's profiles, um, and if you look at. Temporary managers, which what is what I started this off talking about, is that I think it's coming quite clear now that most that often they're quite minimalistic t- tactically. If you look at the likes of Dean Smith and Lampard, it seems like there's a reliance on being man managers and attacking moments to win games. I don't think tactically they're, they're always going to be inferior to who they're playing against, obviously, unless they're playing each other. But um, it feels like they're going into a game at a disadvantage from a tactical standpoint. Is then can the players sort of overcome that advantage? And you'd argue Chelsea should be doing it a lot more than they are. i say the same way in the Man United. maybe we're under, under Solskjaer. I don't think he was quite as bad tactically, but he certainly was not the best. But the likes of Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, often won in games when um, maybe didn't deserve to. The same with Tottenham, with Harry Kane and, and Son and players like that. Chelsea should be winning more games than they are just because of the players they've got. But at the moment, that's not working. Um, And I say this all ultimately comes down to the club, I guess, from top to bottom, really being on the same page, having a a structure in the hierarchy to um, know what the manager wants, know what sort of players the manager needs. That communication line needs to be open. Then we need to go and recruit players for the way they want to play. If you want to keep chopping and changing managers when times get a little bit hard then the new manager is very unlikely to play the same system as you all the players you've previously bought are no good um and he's a different system so I'm going to find that out soon I think if a new manager doesn't want to play wing backs so just spent 40 million on pedro porro who is basically only a wing back not a right not a fullback the new manager plays full backs wants to play 433 or 442 or something else then 40 million down the drain with porro because he's not going to fit into that system so if you're going to buy players for a specific system, you have to give the manager time. And then if you are going to sack them for bad performance, bad run of results, fallouts, or whatever else, then the new manager has to sort of be able to work with that current batch of players and not be the complete opposite because you can't just go out and buy 11 new players very easily. So yeah, that's my take on this. I say, I, I think... It's obviously tough to replace a manager, but I think a little bit more effort needs to be done to look at the manager and think, are they going to gel and is their tactic going to work with his current batch of players? And that as the manager even got a tactic. Um, because in some cases that doesn't feel like they have. Um, so yeah, thanks guys for listening. Um, I'll do a few more of these sort of just general brain dumps um and general football thoughts now and again when I've got a bit of time and maybe it's there's a, a little bit of a, a free slide in the man on plotting the schedule. Um, I'll tweet to you again all soon. Cheers.